Hello, loyal listener of Rage Against the Mainstream, Bill here. I hope you guys are enjoy, enjoying Season 3 so far, because I am, and I hope you guys are really enjoying these interviews that I've had the pleasure of putting out here every week, and hopefully continue to do that every week. Today's guest is Justin Terry from the band Ghost of the Sun. I've had an absolute pleasure talking to him, and uh, I hope you guys enjoy the conversation. We hit on pretty much about everything, from music to YouTube to just everything under the sun. Um, make sure you stay tuned for the end of the episode to hear Enyel off their album Existia. So without further ado, here we go. Welcoming to Rage Against the Mainstream for the first time, our new friend, Justin Terry from Ghosts of the Sun. How you doing today, man? Good. How's it going, buddy? Not too bad. Not too bad. Um, so I guess to kind of start this thing off, man, um, for those listeners that don't know, who are you and what do you do? <laughs> um, yeah, so um, like me specifically or or the band in general? Maybe both. I guess I'm, I am pretty yeah, tied yeah. to the band. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I would think so. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I play drums with uh, with Ghost of the Sun. And so it's, it's a relatively new project, really. It's just within the last... Um, couple years and but we've all known each other since the late 90s early 2000s we were all involved in in different projects um but yeah we finally just pulled the trigger and all got together and and uh and here we are and and so the guys i'm playing with they're guys that i've wanted to been playing with for you know almost that the the entire time over the last 20 years and it just never worked out so it's kind of uh, a dream come true for me personally that's awesome you gotta love it when a plan comes together like that yeah, absolutely. So I guess give give us, uh, you know, give our listeners a little insight into Ghosts of the Sun. I mean, I've listened to it and I like I kind of get like, uh, I don't know, like I kind of get like, um, like almost like Tool esque. I mean, I know I know some people are <laughs> some people don't like Tool and, you know, there's people that really do and uh, don't take offense to it. But that's no, kind of no. like the vibe I get. Dude, like, I I pretty much learned how to play drums from listening to Danny Carey. Like, I've I've been a huge Tool fan for a long time, and, um, you know, I, I the first time I heard Tool would have been when Undertow came out. Oh, nice. And I just, <laughs> dude, I totally remember just laying in my bed. I had um, I can't remember what my shitty stereo was, but I had like a lava lamp next to my stereo, and then I had headphones, and I'd go to bed. And I'd put those headphones on. I remember like the first time, I think it was the first time I heard sober. I was like, who in the hell is this? <laughs> like one of my, one of my skater friends from up the road was that he was always listening to like Fugazi and like Beastie Boys and other stuff like this. And all of a sudden like Tool came on the mix. I'm like, whoa, whoa, okay. Everyone just stop for a second. What is this? And then I was just obsessed after that. That's and it's awesome. funny, you go back. Yeah. You go back and listen to like, um, like the perfect example is just like the drum pattern in sober with that specific hi-hat pattern. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. So I hadn't been playing drums for a long time, but I remember hearing that. I'm like, well, that sounds impossible. I need to learn <laughs> that immediately. And then, <laughs> and, and so my, my love of, um, of not just drums, but music in general, it, it really got kicked into high gear once I started listening to, to Danny Carey. And I mean, even just beyond his technical ability, but just how he composes songs Oh yeah, I was yeah I was I was obsessed um, from from that point on. So I, some of that 
you know, with Ghost of the Sun, you're going to hear some some of that influence because um, I would say most of us are, are pretty huge Tool fans. Um, but that that is a, a a fine line to walk to to not <clears throat> completely. Uh, you don't want to say steal those ideas, but maybe parts of the vibe of, of how they compose songs. Yeah, exactly. I'm, it's just, yeah, it's unavoidable. I'm sure there's going to be some of those, those elements in the music, but like for me personally, if, if someone hears a little bit of tool influence in there, I love that. It's like, okay, well then I learned well, <laughs> I, I paid attention. Well, you definitely had a good teacher. There's no question about yeah. that. <laughs> oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. It's one of the, one of the best of all time. Oh, Absolutely. So what did you feel about, uh, how did you feel about uh, Fear Inoculum? Did you like it? <clears throat> you know, honestly, it, it, it took me a little bit. I, my, my first listen through, I, you know, all I could think was, dude, 13 years. And like, this is what, this is what you guys came up with. Yeah, exactly. I kind of I mean, felt the same when way. You're, yeah. When you're standing on the back of like Anima and Undertow. 10,000 days. Oh, oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. So that's right around the, the time of 10,000 days is where I started losing interest a little bit. And then my, um, you know, my musical taste started going in some other directions. I just, you know, I look at Enema as like one of the, the pinnacles of great albums from, you know, what, what year was that? 97. And so I was hoping, you know, cause I had heard some rumors that they're going to go back to the roots a little bit. And I was like, Oh dude, if they put out another album like Enema, I'm seriously going to shit my pants. I, 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 <laughs> I hope they do. And then, you know, I, I took the first listen through and I wasn't blown away at first, but just, you know, knowing how their music is, it's like, all right, I got to take some time and actually like digest it and start to understand it. Yeah. And then I, I wasn't a super mega fan of that album. No, I mean, it's, it's good. Oh yeah. And you you got to remember too, like these dudes are in their, what they're in their fifties now. Right. Yeah. I think Danny Carey's in like his mid, mid to late fifties. Yeah, something like that. So it's there are moments on the album that I think are very impressive. And I, I just have to, you know, remind myself like, hey, these dudes are, you know, they are in their 50s. So the fact that they're still doing it and doing it at, at, at this level is awesome. Yeah, that's true. You know, that's very, all, very all true. the props in the world to them. But as far as like that, that holy shit, I have goosebumps kind of feeling like I, I recall from like, you know, my high school years and 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 early college years, I, 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 I'm just not getting that with this album. Yeah. So it's not something I, I have on repeat. Um, I appreciate it for what it is, but it's, it, yeah, it hasn't, hasn't blown me away by any means. All right. Well, kind of, kind of branching off of that. I mean, you, you just got done talking about, uh, you know, like music that would give you goosebumps or whatever. What was that first band that kind of did that to you? What was the band that got you into music or was it not a band at all? God, I'm trying to think like the first time I remember my very first CD I ever bought was uh weird Al Yankovic off the deep end. <laughs> that was, that was the, the first, yeah, that would have been the first CD. I think the second CD I ever bought was Alice in Chains dirt. Oh yeah. And, and I think, you know, the first time I heard wood or even, even rooster, I mean, really probably that whole album. That's when it really started hitting me like, oh, my God, this is what music can sound like. And, uh, you know, leading up to that, my parents were always, you know, they always had music playing in the house. So we had like Beatles and Zeppelin and Rolling Stones, James Taylor, you know, all that stuff playing all the time. And it, I I appreciated it and I liked it, but nothing really hit me. Um, but I think. 
Well, nothing really hits you quite like Weird Al Yankovic. (laughs) (laughs) It's still that's still a solid album. It's a weird first album to have, but um, hey, it's all good. I I remember the day I got off the deep end. (laughs) Yeah. What? uh, Yeah. What were your thoughts when that first came out? Well, when it first came out, I was I was very, very, very young. I don't even think I was able to comprehend what music was. I was born in 92. (laughs) But I do remember getting that CD and thinking like. Because I remember that that was actually the first time like I actually heard like, you know, like smells like teen spirit, but it obviously it was smells like Nirvana. Yeah. And like that was like the in my eyes, I thought that was a, the original version of smells like teen spirit. I'm like, I was like, what are these guys doing? <laughs> fucking up this weird house song. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> oh, that's yeah, I suppose with that with that age difference, I was born in 81. Oh, OK. And so I so I had heard uh, never mind. I just didn't I didn't own any Nirvana albums at that time. But, yeah, I could I could see how that would happen, though. I mean, God, you even see that now with like uh, like with the sound of silence with Disturbed doing a cover of it. And a lot of people didn't know that that was, Sonic you know, that Garfield. song's been around for. Yeah, it's been around forever. So, yeah, it, it totally makes sense how that could happen. That was like another like, yeah. lackluster thing. I wasn't super I wasn't super impressed with that. I mm-hmm. mean, like, I, I'm a fan of Disturbed. I like their music, but like I was like, come on, man, like. You guys could have done something else. I know. He, look, and he's a he's a good singer. Like they're they're just a they're a hit machine. Oh yeah. You know, but it's just I yeah I'm I'm kind of in that same boat. Like I I appreciate what they do. It's not something I listen to, but um you know who did do a, a, an awesome cover? And I don't know if you saw this, but I don't know if you follow K Mac. Oh yeah. Twenty twenty. Yeah. So now him and and Drusif did a cover. I think it was last year for April Fools. Okay. They did a cover of that song and it's legit. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> it's yeah. I, I mean, people think of him as he's the meme king, obviously, but like, oh yeah, super. I, meme I think king. people for, yeah, but I think people forget like how insanely talented that kid is. I think and my so favorite when I video that, is the, is the, uh, when you buy an eight string guitar, but all you know is basket mm-hmm. case. <laughs> oh my God. I've, I've never watched one of his videos and not laughed and watched it three times in a row. The, the, that has just never happened. The delay one was pretty funny too. When you mess up a note on delay and it's following him around for the whole day. Yep, he's on the bus looking out the window. He's just got that concerned look on his face, and that kills me every time. He just released a cover yesterday. I don't know if you saw this. He did "Midlife Crisis" by uh, um, Faith No More. Oh, really? Yeah, and I mean, if you're out. gonna, yeah, if you're trying to cover Patton, I mean, those are. Those are huge shoes to fill. That's not a lot of people can cover Patton. He oh, that's crushed true. it. That's he awesome. absolutely crushed it. I'm like, what can't this kid do? Honestly, I, oh, I would like awesome. I would like to get K Mac on that. I feel like that would be real fun. <laughs> oh my, I know that's and I and, you know one of the funny things too is with the uh, uh, with the cover, it, uh, really any cover he does, but specifically in Midlife Crisis, his Scottish accent comes out just a little bit in it. Oh yeah, and it's so awesome. He just, he, I mean, he can't even hide it. But for some reason, I almost like that version a little bit better. I'm gonna have it's, to. I'm gonna just, have to listen to this, dude. It's so worth it. I I listened to it twice last night. I was going to pick up pizzas for the kids, and uh, <laughs> I just had it on repeat. I'm like, <laughs> he just everything he puts out is gold. Just you, everything. It's so funny the way you kind of like consume music nowadays. Like so, like uh, you know. Uh, pretty much like anybody else, like, you know, you kind of get your music from like YouTube and stuff like this. And then you have these content creators that like make this stuff. And like, 
sometimes like the covers are better than like the originals. I know. Like um, I listened to Cole Roland. He's another YouTube guitar player and he did a cover mm-hmm. of Adele's Hello. And I was like, it gave me goosebumps. Like this is like ridiculous. Like, you know, like what is this dude doing? Like he's got to, like he's got to get into something. I know. And, and a lot of those guys never will. Yeah. It's unfortunate. I mean, granted, I'm pretty sure he's got a pretty successful career in YouTube and everything, but, <laughs> sure. but it's just like, it's like, dude, like if you were like, you know, part of like a producing team or songwriting team, like you would kill, it'd be insane. I know. But I, you know, I think it's one of those things where um, all of a sudden, if that, if that becomes your career and, and that's, you know, if you're just doing music and that's, that's your sole provider of income, sometimes that takes a little bit of the love away from it because it, it now it is a job. Yeah. That's and true. so I think, I, so I think some of these guys on the periphery of the industry who, you know, put out these covers or, you know, they have a, a YouTube presence. I think they're kind of getting keen to the fact, like if I just keep this as this ancillary thing and just occasionally do the music that I love to do without ha- like having it envelop my whole life. Yeah. I think that might be the sweet spot for a lot of these guys. Cause I, I think that enjoyment would go away if that was all they were doing all the time. So I, I respect those guys who kind of recognize that and they're like, no, I need to keep doing it this way. Otherwise all the magic's going to be gone. Yeah, exactly. And you know, you constantly want to stay fresh and everything. And I mean, it's just like mm-hmm. anything, if it winds up becoming a job, I mean, there, there's a very slim chance you'll still maybe enjoy doing it, but right. you know, to be able to just to sit there and be like, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to make a video. Like, <laughs> yeah, that, exactly. yeah, that's what I'm doing today. Just, yep. Just on a whim. No one is telling you when you need to do it. It's you're determining when you do everything. Um, exactly. Yeah. It's like, you know what? Yeah, I, think that's- I think I'm going to cover faith no more today. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and crushes it. Yeah. I mean, if he, and I know he does, uh, he's done UK tech fest or he was supposed to do it this year. And obviously because there's some shit going on that didn't happen, but, Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, so he, I think he does have a band put together where he can actually do shows now, but I, you know, just knowing, you know, K Mac in particular with how he has it set up, I don't think he would ever go full-time music career. I just, I couldn't see it happening. Yeah. Well, getting back to ghost of the sun for a second. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I enjoy the segue into YouTube because I, that's literally where I spent most of my time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. They have, they have a full blown bedroom and you know, like uh bathroom and everything for me there in youtube lane (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome um so (laughs) going back to you know like uh like we were saying earlier with like songwriting and stuff like that how does that process work for you guys in this band like does someone come in with like a full-fledged song and you guys work through it or is something you guys hash out in a room together or like how, how does it work for you guys yeah it's one of the weird things, like in reality, if I were to tell you how much music we're sitting on right now, we probably have four albums worth of music. Oh, wow. And and so right now we get together, like over the summer, we typically just, to get, we get together on Thursdays. And then, you know, as we come into fall and everyone's schedules are a little bit better, we do two days a week. Um, but normally, like the, f- the first thing we do when we get in the room is we just start jamming. Everyone just plugs in, everyone tunes up and we just start jamming something. And it's over the last, you know, I'd say probably a year, year and a half, we've written something every single time we've sat down and just hit record. That's all. Awesome. And then so, yeah, so a lot of the time, 
most of what's written is just from us jamming together in the room and then, okay, hey, there's something there. Let's record it. Everyone listen to it this week and then let's come back and start fleshing it out. Um, but yeah, rarely is it someone comes in with a fully fleshed out idea. I do some electronic stuff at home. So like for the next um, album that we're going to be working on, those are one of the, like, those are some of the only one-off situations where I, I've actually composed something or our guitar player, Eric, composes something electronically and then we come in and and kind of build off of that. Um, but normally it's just in a live setting. We're just feeling something out and coming up with it on the spot. That's awesome. Speaking of the, the album that's currently out, uh, Existia, tell me a little bit about it. Uh, where did it come from? What were some of the ideas behind the album? I mean, a lot. I mean, I've listened to this whole thing back to, for, back to front. Probably, uh, probably today was the <laughs> second time I listened to the whole thing. And it's awesome. just incredible. Like where, Thank you. like, where did this come from? I mean, because, you know, like mostly it's, I'm always talking to like, you know, vocalists and stuff. And it's like, oh, well, this is right. where the, the lyrics were coming from, but there is no lyrics. So like, you know, yeah. how did it happen? It, it was kind of a, a weird journey when we, when we first started, our intention was to have a singer. And so we had actually tried out, um, we tried out a couple guys and and they were great singers, but for some reason, um, what we started feeling like uh, we had this idea of we wanted to sonically explore some ideas that are sometimes complicated when you have uh, a singer involved, or just you know the tone of their their voice kind of dictates like even if the music behind it is in a certain genre, if a singer has a certain tone, it yeah. can make it seem like it's a genre that it might not be. And so we, we kept going back and forth and we weren't, we like normally when we, when we're writing something, we all have that holy shit look and we are, we're looking around the room at each other. Like, okay, there, there it is. That's <laughs> it. So we need to hone in on that. And so we, we just weren't really finding that with, um, with any particular singer we were bringing in. And then the other problem we were running into is everything was very, very structured as far as like, okay, here's your verse, here's your chorus. Okay, well, he probably has more vocals, so let's do a second verse, then another chorus. And it's like, look, we, we've been doing that since, I mean, I've personally been doing music like that since, you know, like the mid-90s. Oh, and yeah. so that, it kind of, it, it, I don't want to say it gets boring, but it, it becomes predictable. Yeah, it gets, and then it, we have this, you're bringing up the monotony of it. Yeah, it's like, we've we've done this. We've done this a million times. So then, out of nowhere, I can't remember, not everyone was in the room. I think Alex, our bass player, was was gone that night, but uh, Eric, Rick, and I were jamming, and then all of a sudden, Soul, which is the, I think it's the second to last track on the album, it's probably on the album, that whole thing got written in one night, pretty That's much. Awesome. It just it, it just came out of nowhere, like, what the hell was that? <laughs> and then, <laughs> so then we start like, oh okay, well, there's something there. Like, this one's really resonating with us. What if we just keep this band instrumental? I mean, it's so hard to have a 10-minute song and have a singer on it. I mean, there's bands that do it. Yeah, but exactly. We just thought, well, let's just try doing this without a singer, and then we can get really crazy with how we're writing stuff. And then, you know, from that song on, we kind of realized, okay, we need to scrap almost everything we've written up to this point and, and kind of start from scratch again. And then pretty much that whole album was born uh, from that. The only song that we originally had written that we ended up keeping was the elemental. Okay. Which had a, 
that was one of the first songs we ever wrote. That was, um, and it, it had a different name at the time, but yeah, we pretty much came up with an entire album after we made that decision. Let's just not have a singer. Um, and so, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm personally glad we made that decision. Um, it just, it, it just offers a lot more freedom for everyone to, um, to just come up with ideas that you can sit and breathe on for a while without having to worry about, okay, well, we should probably have vocals in this part. So let's shorten that up. And yeah, exactly. Just, now, yeah, now you just, just have like the sonics of it. Yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. So it, it just, it feels like it, as a musician, it just gives you a little bit more freedom to, to maybe self indulge on a part where, you know, a perfect example of that would be Devin Townsend. And granted he's, you know, he is a singer, but he's got that unique ability where, um, you know, every once in a while in the track, he'll get into a really sweet spot where it's just this epic riff. Oh, yeah. And he'll, he might just be like, fuck it. We're doing this for five minutes now. <laughs> That's it. We're going to do this for five minutes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or, or even or even like Opeth, think of the end of uh, Deliverance. Yep. You know, and granted, another band with a singer, but they find that awesome outro to Deliverance and they ride that out for minutes and minutes. And I love having that ability to do that without having to worry about someone not being able to participate and, and, and put some, you know, put their flair on it as well. And uh, so it's just, it's worked out really well. That's awesome. So I guess from start to finish about how long did it take for you guys to create and basically put out this album? Oh God. Yeah. How long was that? I would say probably, I think it was probably six months. Uh, from when we kind of changed the direction of, of how we wanted it to sound. And then we fleshed out all the songs, went into the studio at the uh, beginning of this year. Um, we pretty much tracked for just a couple days. Oh, okay. And then, and then we spent the next couple weeks just kind of like dialing in mixes, but it, it happened pretty quick, which, which was nice. That's awesome. I, that, that hasn't been my experience in the past. So, you know, when it came together that quick, that was a good sign to me where none of it felt forced. It was just happening very naturally. And it's, it's because we were all enjoying it so much. Hmm. So that was a good sign to me to not be worried about the fact that it was going so smooth. <laughs> and it's like, no, it's, it's going smooth because like, we're all very happy with where this is going. So let's just like, let's not overthink it. Let's just get this thing done. And then, uh, and we'll, we'll see how, how people like it, I guess, when it, when it comes out. So, well, that, and also you didn't have a douchebag singer in there trying to tell you what to do. Oh, I know. We make that joke all the time. <laughs> I know. Cause that can happen to, I, you hear horror stories all the time. And, oh yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's, I, I like having just four of us, which is, it's just, it's nice to just one less person to have to worry about. And even just from a coordinating schedules standpoint, just, just one having the four person. of us, one less person. Yeah. It's, it's worked out well. So like with this podcast, there's me and then two other guys and trying to like, even just with two other people, like trying to get their schedules lined up and it's like, Oh my God. Like it's like pulling teeth. So then Dude, they come over, you got to record like two or three episodes in a shot. And it's just like, well, I'm burned out now. It's like, well, I mean, maybe you should get your schedule a little bit opened up more. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I know it is. And it, well, and it's, it's tough. Cause yeah, everyone has careers and some of us have families and yeah. you know, just trying to coordinate schedules. It's, you know, if it was just two people, it's hard, you know, so it's, it's one of those things where over time you kind of find your rhythm of, okay, who's available when, you know, it, and, and so far it's worked out. We're kind of finding a rhythm of, of something that works for everyone in the band. Uh, so they can be the most productive when we can all, you know, be together and, 
and even like do podcasts and things like that. So it's, it's working for sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, um, uh, gotta tell you guys, congratulations with, uh, getting on with CB entertainment. Um, yes, me, me and Chris are pretty decent friends and he's the one that contacted me about, uh, having you guys on the show. Um, sure. Chris is amazing. He's a ni- really, really nice guy. He's awesome. Yeah. I was actually just talking to him about 50, like right before we got on this call, I was messaging back and forth with him. He's great. I love the guy. Oh yeah. It was actually funny. Um, he wrote that book, the, the music agenda, and I had him on for the book and uh after it was done and everything and like obviously i found out who he was i was like hey man if you have any artists or whatever you want to you know have come on that'd be more you know i'm more than welcome to have them on and sure. uh it was just like after that it was just like he just kept sending me bands bands after bands and it's just it's amazing i mean it keeps yeah. me busy <laughs> oh 100 percent too yeah i don't know if you've ever checked out the band he was in uh forever in terror oh yeah yeah dude i i hadn't watched I can't remember the uh, the name of the song, but I hadn't seen that video and it had been over 10 years. I just totally forgot how legit of a singer he was. Oh, yeah. Like, I, you just forget, like, he had some serious pipes on him. Like, I remember that being on, like, Headbangers Ball or something mm-hmm. or on maybe On Demand or something. I, rem- I remember seeing that video as a kid. And uh, it's just kind of funny, like, when I went back and revisited it because, I you know, I, I try to do enough research if I can. And sure. I've rewatched the Forever and Terror stuff. And I'm like, man, this dude's fucking badass. I remember this. <laughs> yeah. And what was he in high school when he did that? I mean, he was young. Yeah, I believe. Really- I believe the I think he was the oldest one, maybe or something like that. And they were only like 17, 16. Yeah. It's just incredible. Yeah, they were. Yeah, it's I, I do have a funny story about Chris. When we um, our guitar player, Rick, had been communicating with Chris for some time and then uh so then I, I started communicating with him when we were talking about partnering up and I, I felt so bad. I, I had a, a bad experience with a management company back in, uh, 2009 with, oh. uh, we had a management company out of Cleveland Okay. and, uh, totally unrelated to Chris. It was a totally different company, but we got burned so bad by this dude. I, I just had this, uh, I had this overall rage for anyone that's doing any kind of management of bands because you hear so many, you hear so many horror stories of how things completely went off the rails. Now there's lawsuits, oh, just yeah. stuff like that. So I was, I was really on the defense with Chris, maybe a little bit of a dick to him at first. And the dude was so nice. Like any question I had, he would respond. He was very calm and collected. And then I remember I did apologize to him at one point. I'm like, Hey, I think I came across like kind of a shithead. Um, <laughs> in the first, in the first couple of communications we had, I just, I said, I just, you know, I, I just want to apologize if I gave the wrong impression. And he's like, no, man, I, he gets, I mean, he gets it too. He's, he's been down that road before and he knows what, what the industry is like. So exactly. I give him all the credit in the world. I absolutely love working with the guy. He knows his shit. Oh yeah. Absolutely. And uh, he's just, He's just all around a, a really good dude. So and the the roster of artists that he has are pretty good too. I mean, I don't know if you dug into any of the ones that he has, but um like bands like Alica and uh Eclipsica and Paul Bartholomew and stuff, uh yeah. That they're all extremely good artists. It's funny too, because it's just like, you know, you think oh, it's like an independent thing, whatever. Oh, you don't really have like super high hopes and you talk to, like I start talking to these guys and listening to the music and I'm just like, what the f- like, whoa. oh, I, yeah, like, yeah, 100%. Alica is ridiculous. 
Oh yeah, me, me and RJ, we, me and him, uh, the vocalist, we we get along extremely well, and um, I've had him on the show multiple times, and this new album they just put out is ridiculous. Oh yeah, it's uh, it's like having your face peeled off by a thousand shards of glass. Yeah, at, at one, it, dude, it's so heavy. It's just, <laughs> I equate it to. I remember the first time I heard it, I was like, Jesus, yeah, wow, it, it, yeah, I, it was nuts. Like you remember, I don't know if you listened to, um, if you ever listened to Mashuga at all. Oh yeah. Um, but Corridor of Chameleons. I don't know if you know that song in particular. Maybe not. I it sounds yeah. familiar, but I, I can't I can't pinpoint what song it is. Yeah, I can't remember exactly what album it's off. But dude, I'm telling you, there's a section in that song that is so heavy. I just imagine I want to skydive out of a plane and land face first in concrete and just start fist fighting it. It's so, (laughs) it doesn't even make sense how something can be so heavy and awesome. And, and so when I was listening to to Alica, I, I, I started to get that vibe. I'm like, these guys are not fucking around. No, this is, this is intense. I love it. It was funny. I was supposed to have them on in person. Like we were going to do a full blown episode with them. And, um, it was literally the day before they completely shut the country down. <laughs> oh, that sucks. Like, I know. Literally, it was that day. Like it was, uh, you know, uh, the day before we were talking and RJ and, uh, Danny, the drummer, they were like, yeah, I don't know, man, things are starting to get a little weird. And then the next mm-hmm. day it was like the con- the country shut down and then they're like, yeah, we can't come now. And I'm like, son of a bitch. I <laughs> That's such a bummer. Yeah. It's, it's been weird. Um, it's a weird time to be in the, in the music industry for sure. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, uh, how was it like releasing the album and everything while all this is going on? Well, I think it was, it was probably a good thing. Cause I mean, the reality of it was all, all we were doing was playing shows up until lockdown happened and we weren't ever taking the time to actually like, um, you know, do the the business side of things that we had never taken the time to do because we were just so busy playing all the time yeah. or, or writing. And so it, it was almost like a blessing that it happened because it, it forced us to slow down and actually start focusing on all the other aspects of the band we never took the time to do. So, I mean, it's, yeah, it's unfortunate that the album came out during a time where you can't, okay, well, we can't go to a festival or you know, that we do a run of a tour, you know, through the Midwest or something like that. But it actually worked out well where now we can actually focus on promoting the band a little bit more and actually setting up the business side of things. Um, So it's, I think it's been good. I'm, I'm content with it that, you know, it's, it's not a great situation, but we're trying to make the, the best of it. And it's so far, it's, I think it's, it's worked in our favor that we took this time to kind of slow down and focus uh, a little bit more. Well, yeah, I mean, well, I mean, definitely in the music industry, it's almost like, you know, you never have a chance to slow down. Like it's either you keep going or you get left behind. And yeah. I mean, granted, like this hasn't been beneficial, like for a lot of people and, you know, like to, to bands that rely on touring and stuff like that. Like, obviously this wasn't good for them, but like you do hear of certain situations like yours to where, you know, you're able to like kind of take the time and do the things that you couldn't do before because yeah. you could, because you just weren't, you just weren't able to. And, um, 
Yeah, it's just, it's really cool. And when I was digging around in your guys' uh, big cartel site, I, I saw you guys released the album in vinyl, which I have to say is pretty, that's pretty fucking cool. <laughs> I That's a, a dream I've personally had since I was a kid. Yeah. Because, I mean, my parents had a, an awesome vinyl collection. And I just remember thinking at that time, like, God, maybe someday I could put out a record. <laughs> How cool would that be? Oh, yeah. And like, holy shit, it, holy shit, it just happened. Like, granted, it's not on the same scale as, like, these <laughs> these bands that they were listening to, like Zeppelin and Stones and Beatles and everything. But um, just to, I, I, that's something I missed about actually being able to physically hold on to your music. Like, oh, yeah. I I love Spotify because I'm finding a bunch of bands I'd probably never find. You know, and and so I appreciate the, the ease of access. But there's something, like, even with a CD... I just remember like, okay, I got this new CD. Now, now I'm flipping through the book. I want to read like, who are they thinking? Like, what's, what are the lyrics? I want to look at pictures of the band. I, I, a lot of that has just been lost. So, so just being able to put out a physical piece of, you know, of music like that was, it was super important to us. And also it's super not affordable. Holy shit. It's expensive to do albums. Is it? (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah, it's but you know it's one of those things where it's like I I feel like that's money well spent because it's just so awesome to have a, a vinyl. Oh yeah, you know absolutely. So it's, it's you know it's really one of those things where you're never. I, there are bands who make money off of those. That the profit margins are typically there. It's pretty small, but that's one of those things I look at. Like if I'm losing money on it, I'm fine because it's just awesome to have a vinyl out. And if other people enjoy it and they get to you know, they get to hold on to it too. And if we're at least breaking even on doing it, I'll do that all day for the rest of my life. I'm totally happy doing that. Oh, hell yeah. I actually just started a tiny vinyl collection myself. Um, I got the first two Van Halen albums, uh, <laughs> 5150 awesome. by Van Halen, uh, the black album and injustice for all from Metallica, Cinderella's yep. night songs, the ghostbusters original soundtrack, Oh, good call. Oh, hell yeah. And rats out of the cellar. And (laughs) I feel like after this interview, I'm going to have to add one more to my collection. There you go. We still got some. Yeah. (laughs) We still got some left. I'm going to have to hop on there and purchase one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's just, um, you know, we had, uh, before our our kids were born, I have a six-year-old boy and a a four-year-old girl. Um, Nice. We, we had uh, we had the whole setup in our living room where we had like the huge speakers and we had the uh, the record player and everything. And we started amassing a, a vinyl collection. And uh, after my son was born, that that fell apart pretty quick. I think our needle on the record player was trashed within like week two. Oh, shit. And then it, yeah. So it's like, OK, I think we'll, do, we'll revisit this uh, down the road when we have a space we can set that up where the, the kids can't get to it. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, just. I still have that drawer of all the vinyls and every once in a while I'll just open it and be like, Oh, I love all of you. Like you will get love. It's just going to be a little while. I didn't forget about you. I still look at you. It's going to happen. Just hold tight. It's happening. (laughs) I'll never forget you. I'll never forget you. I still love you. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) So, I mean, uh, my next question here is, if you guys could cover any song, what would it be? But since you guys don't have a vocalist, would there be a, a possibility for you guys to do a cover song and kind of like uh, add like a instrument as the vocals? Or how could that particular situation work if it were to arise? Yeah, so we actually tossed that idea around um, 
you know, one song that we wanted to cover, and I know some other bands have done like a, a stellar job with this one, but we were all really stuck on uh, on Reptile off of the Downward Spiral by Nine Inch Nails. Oh, nice. And it's tough, yeah, because there are vocals in that song, and that's such an important vocal piece. But that's one we still talk about occasionally where, um, you know, if we actually decide, okay, one of these weeks we're just going to buckle down and, and work on a cover, that's probably going to be one of them. The problem is we, we every single time we get together, we start jamming and then, oh, here's a new song idea. Yeah. And so we never, it's like we almost have to schedule like, okay, this week, don't just start jamming a riff. We're actually going to take the time to, I think we have to, it's one of those things, like, like I think we just have to schedule it, but that's one that's been on our radar now for, I'd say the last year, year and a half, that would be awesome to do. Just got to figure out how to do it right. Yeah, right. I'm I'm partial to Pretty Hate Machine myself. Um, mm. <laughs> I, I, that's, that's one such of that's, a good album. yeah. It's one of those other like completely you know undeniable albums. And the actual hundred oh, percent, yeah. And the actual story behind it too is really funny. Like they were um, Nine Inch Nails were signed to an independent label, and Jimmy Iovine was trying to get them on Interscope, and he just kept hounding their their record label until they would sign them over because he felt like pretty hate machine was amazing and it wasn't going to reach the, the people that it should have. Sure. And it's just, yeah, that's it's wild. Now that's so Richard Patrick was on that album, wasn't he? I'm trying to think from a uh, filter. I, I he, think he was on the tour. I don't think he actually played on the album itself. He didn't. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, I know, I know. Between Pretty Hate Machine and then that tour, and then eventually when Downward Spiral came out, um, I, I've I've loved Richard Patrick since I was <laughs> pretty much a kid. But uh, yeah, I just I do remember, like he was involved a little bit. Yeah, you were right on the touring side of that, and then that apparently over time did not work out. Well, there's a a movie on Netflix. I don't know if it's still on there, but it's called Hired Gun, and it's about you know like session guys and whatever. And um, he's actually in there. Because uh, Filter is one of like the most like notorious bands for like underpaying their session guys for tours. Yes, yep. and <laughs> he was saying that he got that philosophy from Trent Reznor. Like, that's um, right? Yeah, and he was like, um, like, oh, so we're going back to start work on the album. He's like, no, no, correction, I'm working on the album, <laughs> and there's a pizza shop down the street you could probably get a job at. Yeah, oh, that's like, so brutal. Yeah, it's like, damn, what a dick. <laughs> I know. God damn. That's such a bummer when you hear stuff like that. But hey, he's it, a genius. He, I know. That's one of those weird things where it's like, OK, well, you have like sometimes that works and it's a, it's a bummer for everyone else involved. But that that one guy has such a an immense vision of exactly what they want to do that they literally just can't take input from anyone else. Yeah. And then as a result of that, like they're just so creatively genius that they still put out good work, but it's it's always at the sacrifice of the other people who end up like touring on it or, or supporting them when they're, you know, even or even like, you know, like you said, the hired guns that come in and help track in the studio and stuff like that. Those guys always <laughs> they always pay the price. <laughs> yeah. But so you always look back and you're like, well, what what would have that been like if he was more of a community based like, hey, I want. I want everyone's input. You always kind of wonder like, yeah. would it have been better if he did that or would it have sucked? And then he would just be a no name guy that no one appreciated because there's just like a mediocre 
album that he put out. I was I kind of battled back and forth with, you know, what would that be like? Yeah, exactly. That that's actually a good question. Um Yeah, I don't really know. I mean, Filter was good. Filter is a good band. But mm-hmm. like just the like the creative genius that is Trent Reznor. I don't I don't know how he would work in a situation like I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, he, I mean, he works well with Atticus Ross. I yeah, mean, they've been working together for a long time. So that's, but I think that's one of those things where they have such a similar vision that they're almost one in the same, and yeah. so it it works for them. But I think that's rare. I really think that's that's a rare trait for a yeah. lot of those guys. Yeah, you never hear of like songwriting teams that don't have issues. Yeah, so that's one of those things where you know, as a, as a creative person, you always want to defend your idea to the death. And so it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting how, how that dynamic works when you have two of those guys together. And I think more often than not, they probably agree with each other's ideas where in a lot of situations you have some really strong voices in the band and then it just turns into fighting about, okay, well, what direction should we go? Yeah, exactly. I I wanted the bass turned up more on this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. So yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. Um, so obviously you guys really haven't had the chance to really tour on this at all or play, play many shows, if any at all for, uh, Existia. But before this, before, you know, the world basically shut down, um, what did you guys enjoy doing more, uh, being on the road or, you know, hashing out in the jam space or recording? What, what kind of was like the thing that got you guys going? I think it, it was always just meeting in the studio and writing. Okay. If I could honest to God, if I could just do that for the rest of my life, I would be content. <laughs> you know, let's, let's, let's just write music all the time, put out an album. It is fun playing shows, but it's, it is a lot of work. Oh, um, yeah. Well, especially then, you're the drummer, man. You got all, you got all kinds of shit you got to carry. Oh, like you always have the most shit to move. <laughs> I know it's brutal. Like it, I always wanted to play drums when I was a kid. And then all of a sudden I got into it and started playing shows. And I was like, oh my God, this, okay. Someone should have told me like, Hey, pick up like the oboe or yeah. maybe just play piano or something like hey, that. Hey man, you, you should probably be the singer. You don't have to carry anything. Yeah. Hey, I got my mic, you guys. I'm good to go. <laughs> <laughs> and we look, I've seen that. I mean, nowadays that, that, that just doesn't fly anymore. Like normally the singers get involved and help out. But I remember seeing that back in the, the late nineties, early two thousands, where the singer would show up after everything was already set up. And then they'd be the first one out to go drink and not oh, help yeah. the bands. Load out. Uh, dude, I saw that all the time. And we always made fun of those guys. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, it's, um, you know, obviously with, with teaming up with Chris now and, and kind of the, you know, the future of the band, I don't, I don't think touring beyond doing small runs, um, you know, here and there would be feasible for us just cause, you know, just with our careers and, and families and everything we're, you know, we're, we're getting a little older now. So that's like being the road dogs and living out of a van probably isn't, isn't too realistic anymore, but um, I think there is an opportunity to start getting involved in festivals and, you know, flying out here and there and spending a weekend out somewhere. Yeah. I think that's in the cards. Um, you know, that is something we're talking about and looking at for uh, for next year. If, if you know, if things go back to normal somewhat, we can start scheduling that again. Um, yeah, that'd be awesome. Hopefully. It would, but it's going to be tough, too. I mean, if you think about it, like all the, the really big acts have had, you know, they've had to reschedule and cancel all their tours, too. So it's. I feel like getting a slot on a tour or a festival 
over the next one or two years, I don't feel like there's going to be many slots available. Yeah, so it's, I, it's going to be tough. It's going to be very tough. Yeah, because you just think, I think, but I, it, on the flip side of that, I think the festivals are going to be awesome because it's going to be stacked from top to bottom with like A-tier bands oh, hell all the way yeah. through. So it's like, it'll be a really good time to go to a festival because it'll be just the whole roster will be killer bands. But for bands like us that are still up and coming and trying to get our feet wet in the industry, um, we might have to, you know, we're going to for sure be sitting out a lot of those. And hopefully over time, when things get back to more normal, we can get involved in more of them. But um, it's going to be touch and go for a while, you know, seeing how that goes. Hey, well, maybe you guys could even do like the live stream thing. I mean, I'm seeing that becoming more and more prevalent. Yeah, so we have a couple ideas for that. Um, we, we, we're we still logistically figuring that out. There's a, an old school theater. It's called the Mabel Tainter. It's it's like, I don't know, it's like 20 miles from all of us. Oh, okay. Uh, but they just did an event here. I think it was like a, a month or two ago, but you can actually rent this out. And it's, this, it's, I don't know what year it was built. It looks like it was built in 1905, <laughs> but it's just this, this gorgeous old school theater. And so we're, we're working on, you know, logistically figuring out, okay, let's get a sound crew in there. Let's get some video guys and set up different moving camera angles and actually do a, you know, whether it's a live stream event, which you probably could, or just pre-record it and and put it out that way as like a, a sort of live event. Oh, yeah. we're, we're still trying to, to figure that out now, but that's that's definitely on our radar of something we want to do. Well, I don't know how familiar, how familiar you are with the band Suicide Silence, but they just did um, what they called a virtual world tour. And, um, they would sell tickets to the show that you would watch on your TV, li- a live stream show. And like, it would be a f- like a whole new show every night that, I mean, obviously cause it's live streamed, but multiple camera angles and it's them in like a, like a, uh, I guess like a rehearsal space, but it looks like you're seeing them like in person. And it was absolutely incredible. I've heard about that. Yeah. Th- I, those guys are really good. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. If, if you get I, a chance, was, check it out on YouTube. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to check that out. I, yeah, I've, I've heard that they were doing that. There's a couple other bands doing something similar where it is like a world tour. And then depending on your geographical location and however they code that where literally only people in that specific state can even log in to watch it. Yeah. Actually I, I think towards the end of it, they, um, towards the end of it, they got more lax with it or they kind of shut it off. I mean, because mm-hmm. like that, they would do it in like the times, like the time zone, obviously of the country they were playing in. But like, I wound up watching the one date. Uh, it was for um, what date? What 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 show was it? It was um like Brazil or something. I wound okay. up watching the Brazil the the Brazil date. But um, yeah, man, it, it it was really really cool. Yeah, that's a killer idea. I mean, it's. And logistically, I don't know how much work goes into setting that up, but it it almost feels inevitable, like depending on how long this lasts. I think that's that's going to be the path for a lot of bands that were living off of touring. I think in the meantime, that's they're going to have to figure out something like that. Otherwise, they're just not going to survive. Yeah, exactly. Actually, it was funny, too. Last night, um, Metallica is doing some sort of like a drive in drive in movie theater shows. And there are okay. other, it's another live, it's not like a live stream. It's a pre-recorded show, 
but they show it at drive-in movie theaters. And last night there was one, they actually did one down the street from my house. And I mean, the tickets were like a hundred and it was like $150 <laughs> and granted the 150 paid for like six people, but it's right. just like, I don't have six people that want to go see Metallica at a drive-in theater. And I'm not paying that to go see it for myself. I'll just, Dude, kinda... those are like, <laughs> so like Madonna price tickets. Holy yeah, exactly. Shit. But like for them to do something like that, like that's still really cool. I mean, obviously that's a, on a way larger scale than many bands would be able to do. Right. But like the, it was like apparently by what I've heard, it was like a show like, uh, you know, ben, uh, Breaking Benjamin opened and then Metallica did their set. And like I said, it was a pre-recorded thing that they did specifically for that date. And it was in like a rehearsal space or a studio space or something like that. And I mean, that that's just cool. I mean, granted, the idea behind it sucks and that we have to do it this way. But to actually still have it is, you know, great in itself. Yeah, I, it's it's I love those creative ideas like, OK, well, we can either just be super sad for this whole year and <laughs> and not do anything or fuck it. Let's just figure out any possible way we can entertain people and kind of get their minds off of the general shittiness of the world right now. And, and let's just make something happen. And so I, I have a lot of respect for bands that are, that are doing that. Even um, like stand-up comedians right now are kind of, they're starting to do those drive-in shows where <laughs> everyone's oh, yeah. sitting in their cars. Yeah. And it's, it's working. And, you know, cause they're like, well, I, I can't, I just get rusty. If I'm not performing, I'm, I'm actually getting worse day by day. And I, you know, this is how I support my family. So let's just, Let's figure out a way to make this work and let's just do it. So I, I think that's awesome that oh yeah. That just creative types in general are, are figuring out a way to to overcome right now. Absolutely. Well, another thing I got here, I mean, obviously the the idea of this question would have been in an ideal world to where there wasn't a pandemic. But <laughs> do you have any advice or tips for anyone trying to get into the music industry at any level? Oh God. Yeah. It's, it's honest to God. It, I mean, there's, there is some luck involved. Um, but, but for the most part, it's just, I mean, it's, it really is just a grind. Um, you know, you really need to make sure whatever you're doing, it's dialed in. Um, it, uh, and one of the other important factors of, of, you know, especially with musicians is that the relationships internally in the band are strong. Because it's, you know, it's just like building a house. If the foundation is is really half-assed, it's it's not going to withstand the first storm that happens. Exactly. And and so I, I think, you know, at the core, it's it's having a really good relationship internally with the people you're being creative with, which is always a struggle because as creative people, you know, for the most part, everyone's pretty sensitive. Um, you know, that's I think that's just a trait of most artists oh, yeah. uh, in general. And so, you know, that's all I'd say is really, you know, make sure whoever you're on this endeavor with that you, you're, you know, you have a really tight relationship with them. And then, you know, secondarily to that, whatever you're doing, make sure like the quality is, is as good as you can make it at that time. And it doesn't need to be perfect by any means, but good enough where people are going to pay attention to it. And then it, it kind of grows legs of its own and people start noticing it without you having to you know, to drive everywhere to flyer, you yeah. know, telephone poles and <laughs> like call friends and family. Um, and that really, it just, it takes time and patience. 
you know, that's that's kind of the big thing. Oh, we all remember the days of playing shows and like getting your grandparents to come and, you know, d- asking any f- available family member in the area to come out to the show. So it looks <laughs> like you have fans. We've all been there. Uh, yeah, 100 <laughs> percent. Yeah. So it's and if you're with a group of your friends, you know, I, I you know, my my dream doing anything music related is really that, you know, get it out to as many people as possible. But um, it has to be fun. And I think if you're having fun and you're enjoying the process, naturally over time, it just starts starts getting some attention and then attracting in other people that might be able to help you out and you start building a team around it. It's really just patience, you know, and making sure you're having fun doing it. Because if you're not having fun, it's 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 not going to last long. Absolutely. I mean, that that's kind of like uh, kind of like the common thread here, like with a lot of the interviews that I've done. It's pretty much like, listen, if you're not having fun, then you're not you you're not doing it. Yeah. And it's you're not going to want to do it. You know, it's it's if it, it, like for me personally, it's I look forward to Thursdays all week. I can't wait until we can get into the same room together. And, and you know, we all talk pretty much every day. But you know, I've, I've been in situations like that before where I've been in a project where it's, it's going well, but like some of us aren't having fun anymore. There's some awkward tension in the room mm-hmm. and that and all of a sudden it, it feels like you, then you start coming up with excuses like, uh, you know, I got, I got stuff going on this week. Let's, uh, let's circle back next week. And it's, it falls apart quick. Yeah, exactly. And that, that's the thing too. Like, um, you know, like, uh, they always say like, you know, like blood is thicker than water, but there's one thing that's thicker than that. And it's the, you know, the bond of like a band. Like, yeah. you know, the, like there's like when you're in a band with people, you have like a bond that's like stronger than anything because you guys are in the same room, sweating it out, writing this stuff, having creative, you know, having like, uh, like a creative, like, uh, like a chili almost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's pretty accurate. Yeah. And, you know, it's just like you all it's like it's the only time where you can have multiple people involved in making one thing and having it all be equally the same person's, you know, possession pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, and for us, I mean, even if we didn't have Ghost of the Sun, we would still hang out all the time. Oh, you yeah. know, we all go we all go fishing together. We have bonfires together. We we talk all the time. So we, like, yeah, that's that that part of it's one of the the most important pieces is if if you get to do this with your best friends, it's it doesn't feel like work and things start coming really, really easy, which is it's the, one of the greatest feelings ever. Oh, absolutely. There's nothing like it in the world. <laughs> yeah, 100 percent. So speaking of having fun and whatnot, what's one of the coolest shows you guys have played so far? Or is there uh, any that stick out? Uh, I think one of our most fun shows that we did recently was uh decadent cabaret so it's a festival that's been going on in in eau claire wisconsin for almost it's been 40 something years at this point oh wow and and so it's it's a conglomeration of like bands that are still active or bands where people have moved away but everyone will literally come back for this this three-day event and it's you know there's 20 or 30 bands that will play over the the course of this festival and uh, this was literally, I think it was March 6th. So it was very near where, where everything got locked down. It's the last actual live performance we did. Oh, wow. Um, okay. But there was, 
I don't know what it was about that night. It was in a, they moved it to a different venue for the first time because the original venue had closed down uh, the year before. And so this is our first time in a, in one of the the new venues or, or within the last two years. Okay. And there was, there was just something about that night where we had connected with the crowd in a way that it, it, I just don't think it ever happened before. And just in my recent memory, that, that has to be one of my my favorite shows, just that connection that was there that night. I hadn't felt that in, it, dude, it had probably been more than 10 years. Everything you know, just, just went with right that night. Everything just felt perfect. And, and so then that was one of those moments where you're like, okay, this is why I do this. Like, oh, yeah, writing yeah. is fun. And, and, you know, as much as I like, if I could just hole up in the studio and write all the time and just record albums, I'd be, I'd be super happy. But then when you have shows like that, where, where you connect so deeply with the crowd, that kind of reminds you like, oh, this is super important. Oh, yeah. And, and that was in recent memory, that was probably the, one of the most fun shows we've had as a band yet. That's awesome. And even more so now than ever. Like, I think like we need to remember like these type of, you know, like the, these type of experiences and what live shows really actually mean for people. Like, uh, you know, even more so than the musicians of the bands playing it, but the, you know, like the fans and the people that attend these shows, it's almost like, uh, it, well, there, there's really no, there's no word for it. Like, unless, unless you've been to a show and you understand what it's like and, you know, like a euphoric moment almost when, you know, your favorite band plays that song that you've been waiting all night to hear. And it's just one of those things. And hopefully all this stuff, you know, resolves soon because just like everyone else, I, I too want to get back to going out the shows and seeing, you know, seeing any band that I can shit at this point, I'm pretty sure when the world gets back to normal, I'm probably going to sell my car to just fun concert tickets. (laughs) <laughs> that's hey it's a good goal to have yeah 100 oh, yeah. i yeah i i almost feel like it was one of those things we took for granted um like a lot of things it's like oh yeah there's just shows all the time you can just it, it was it almost felt like it it, it i don't want to say it, it started losing its importance but it was so easily accessible that we just didn't think anything of it yeah exactly and, and so i think now with um you know when we do get back where we can all get together again i think that's going to rejuvenate everyone and realize like, Oh my God, we miss this so much. Like, <laughs> Oh, we, it's like just for, for your mental, just for any level of sanity. This is something that people need to have. Oh, and, yeah. uh, like I, I remember one of my favorite shows ever. I think I was, yeah, I was watching tool down in Milwaukee during Summerfest, And this was like early two thousands. And that's one of those moments. I think they were playing push it. And dude, I cried like an eight year old. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, granted, I was really high when it happened, but I think I would have cried anyway. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, so, you know, and, and that's one of those things I never felt listening to the album. It's one of my favorite songs of all time. But then actually being there in front of the band while they're playing it, that's just that's an experience you're just not going to get from from listening to a band on a vinyl or a CD or streaming it like being there while it happens you know, and having the collective of everyone else around you experiencing the same thing. Oh yeah. You know, that's, it's so important. I, I'm, you know, I'm excited for when it comes back. Cause I think, 
I think show turnouts are going to be enormous because people are going to realize how bad they missed it. Oh, they're they're going to sell out. Everything's going to sell out for the you know the second everything comes back. They it's going to it might even create like a false sense of hope for a lot of bands. And <laughs> I know. Like, well, we just played a sold out sold out show, and it's just like, well, <laughs> I think it might be because everyone just wants to come out to a show. <laughs> I know. I know. So I, I keep that in mind, too. Like, hey, it's it might be awesome for a couple months, but then it might slide back into. I mean, we're pretty malleable as a species, so I feel like we'll eventually slide back into. OK, we're back to normal. OK, let's we don't have to to go at, you know, 11 out of 10 all the time. Yeah, exactly. you know, so it's so hopefully it, it lasts. Um, hopefully that lasts for a while. But yeah, people need it 100 percent. I know I do. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, absolutely. That without without a doubt. Mm-hmm. Now I got a couple. I got a couple last things here. One is when things do get back to you know normal, or at least some form of normal. Where would you Where would you guys like to start playing shows at if you haven't uh, you know already been to the places you want to go? Honestly, what I'd love to do is start getting on more festivals if that's possible. Okay. So you know if we've thrown out around the idea of like, hey, let's see if we can get on South by Southwest you know, whenever they start doing that again. And I think schedule wise, that could work for everyone if we're just doing weekends where we're flying out here and there. But I, that's something we've never really taken much advantage of. Um, so I think that's going to be a focus. Um, you know, hey, let's just fly out for a weekend. Let's go down to Texas and let's, you know, let's yeah. spend a weekend down there and play a cool festival. I think that's going to be one of our, our pushes um, just because because full time touring is not going to be realistic. So you know, we got to find what, what works for everyone. And that's, you know, that's something we've never done before. We have members in the band who have done some touring like that and have done some festivals, but personally for me, that would be a new experience outside of doing like rock fest out of uh, Wisconsin here. So I think that's going to be one of the pushes like, Hey, let's, let's get on some festivals. Oh, hell yeah. That'd be awesome. It'd be very fun. Now, speaking of these festivals, what do you think would be the ideal or what would be your dream lineup to play a festival with? Like if you had to pick any bands living or dead, what what do you think would be like an ideal bill for you guys to be on? I think it's, it's tough. Yeah. Cause we're kind of in that weird realm between prog metal and post rock. We're kind of like sitting right on, right on the edge. <laughs> And especially with some of the newer stuff we're writing, we're, we're falling more towards like the post rock with, with those elements of like Gojira kind of guitar work in it. Um, oh, okay. I, I mean, I get down with Gojira. Dude. Yeah. If we ever got a chance to share the stage with Gojira, I would, yeah, I would probably cry again for sure. <laughs> um, but you know, you got bands like Russian circles out of Chicago. Um, you know, they're one of the, the they're, I mean, they're a huge force in the post rock world. You know, you got Tides from Nebula, um, you know, Explosions in the Sky, bands like that. I, that would be really fun. As far as a dream lineup, I'd have to say, you know, if we could get on any bill that Gojira is ever playing on, I'd be pretty happy. I'd be content with that. Nice. What do you think <laughs> about, what, what, you know, if you guys were to get on like a bill with like Tool? Mm, that's tough. Yeah, I wonder, I mean... Well, then again, you have just, to deal with all the tool fans. Yeah, that's, you know, and that's, that's one of those things where they're, they're super, super passionate. 
you know, it, it is almost at this point like a, a cult following. I don't know if I would enjoy the pressure of being on the same bill as Tool. I would love to just have said that I was on the same bill as Tool. <laughs> that would be like a childhood dream for me. But I think like the pressure when you're pairing up with a band like that, that has the following that they do, you're you're almost setting yourself up to fail unless you are so undeniably flawless in your execution <laughs> that, that you're comfortable doing it. I think it would be fun. And if, if that was ever on the table, I would say yes to that all day, but I, I would be, I would be a little bit trepidatious going in. Like, well, how's this going to go over? Like, are, are there going to be a lot of comparisons there? You know, what's, you know, what is that going to look like to everyone that's there? I would just want them to have fun, you know, but what's Danny um, Carey going to think of me? Oh, dude, if he was watching, like, imagine sitting on stage and you're playing and he's watching from the side. Dude, I, would, I pick myself apart harder than anyone. Like, if we play a show, norm, normally it's it's filmed. I watch that, like, game day footage, like a football player who's, <laughs> who's studying for the next game. I'll, I'll watch and be like, ah, didn't like how I did that. Okay, I got to, okay, why did I do it that way? That was weird. I got to make sure I don't do that. I'd be so <laughs> self-conscious with him watching me. <laughs> You know, it's so, so funny. I just read an interview the other day. Uh, Jerry Cantrell had done it. And um, he was talking about when Alice in Chains went out with Van Halen. And he said the first show of the tour, Eddie Van Halen stood on the side of the stage and watched him. And he said it was yeah. the worst show he ever played in his life. <laughs> yeah. Could you imagine the pressure? Like, oh, it's just one of the greatest guitar players of all time watching me. No pressure. Yeah. <laughs> You know what I mean? And and I'm sure to Eddie, he was just watching and having fun because he genuinely, you know, he loved what, what Jerry was doing. But I, I could see from Jerry's standpoint, you'd be like, oh, my God, don't fuck up. Please just don't fuck up. And then you you get into your own head and then guess what? You're going to be fucking up. Well, Eddie was probably like, oh, man, yo, it's the guy from Alice in Chains. This is awesome. And then yeah, exactly. Jerry's like, oh, my God, this is the guy from Van Halen. I know. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> yeah, I actually watched that that piece that Jerry put it. This is a couple of weeks ago, I think, where he did that hour long. Oh, the icons. Uh, yeah. The, yeah, the icon something. series. That's yeah, where I've was, seen it. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was awesome, too. He's talking about when, when Eddie would just, you know, Jerry was out. I don't know if he was on tour or doing an album, but he came back to the place he was renting and his whole garage was filled up with gear from Eddie. Like, could you imagine? Like, that would be the coolest thing ever. Yeah, like if I came back home and opened up my garage and then my wife's like, hey, uh, you have a whole garage full of gear from Danny Carey. I'd be like, uh, excuse me, what? <laughs> what? That doesn't that doesn't even are we in the same universe here? This doesn't even make sense to me. How would I, that even happen? I would have left had early. How it felt. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, no shit. Yeah, I, I just so I can, you know, just putting myself in Jerry's shoes. That has to be one of the most surreal feelings ever. Oh, yeah. Like when that happened. But, but he, I mean, he was so talented to the point where it's just like, well, that's inevitable that that's going to happen. He's so undeniably, you know, prolific in the music industry. Like that was just bound to happen at some point. You know? Oh yeah. I mean, in my opinion, I don't really think Alice in Chains has put out any, any bad material. No, I mean, honestly, even the new stuff with William Duvall, I don't feel like any of it's bad. No, he's, he's good. And it's, and you can see that that band chemistry is there too. So it's like. You know, like I said before, having that chemistry with with everyone in the band, like he obviously fits in perfectly and they're all, you know, they're all very close. So it's yeah, I, I, it's rare that I hear an Alice in Chains song that I'm I'm not a fan of. It, it's just it seems like it's impossible for them to put out bad music. Well, actually, little known fact, 
Um, when Jerry was doing his uh, solo tours, you know, for like Boggy Depot and Degradation Trip, William yep. Duvall was part of his live band. Was he really? Yeah. Uh, William Duvall played guitar and background vocals for Jerry Cantrell live. Oh, shit. I did not know that. Yeah. I forget what it is, but if you go on YouTube and watch any of like the like the Degradation Trip live videos, you'll see William Duvall there. He does all oh, like, the Lane cool. Staley stuff when they do uh, like the Alice in Chains live or Alice in Chains material live with Jerry. And uh, okay, yeah, to like see him is like, oh well, this was a perfect fit. This dude, this dude played with Jerry for years. <laughs> yeah, it, it, I mean that makes sense. Then it's like, oh, he already knows all this stuff. He's got the sound down. Yeah, let's just bring him in a hundred percent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's, that's that's awesome. I love that. Yeah, man, it's it's definitely really really cool. And like yeah, the Alice in Chains story, I I feel like they're one of those bands that like deserves like a biopic. Like it'd be an extremely oh, good movie. Yep, I'd watch it. One hundred percent. I put it on repeat. <laughs> yep, absolutely. <laughs> Our guitar player Eric is a, a huge Alice in Chains fan, and he's been a fan of, of Jerry for a long time. So, um, yeah, I, I think we definitely pull some influence from uh, from them too. But yeah, they're they're so undeniably uh, huge in the music world. Yeah, at some point there has to be a movie about them. Oh, absolutely. That and Metallica. I've always felt like they needed to have a Metallica movie. Yeah, I mean, just think about how long they, they're they've been doing it. Oh, and they're yeah. still, do, or, or you know, even look at other bands like Rolling Stones. Like, dude, what are these guys? Four hundred years old, and they're still out there <laughs> kicking ass. Are you shitting me? Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, how does he has more energy than I do? And he's what? He's how old is is uh, Mick Jagger right now? Mick Jagger, actually, I'll tell you what, I'll look it up right now. Yeah, I want to look this up, dude. He's for sure. Is he in his seventies? Mick. Mick Jagger's born in 1943, so what is he, 77? He is 77 years old. Are you shitting me? Damn. And he's still out there kicking ass like he did when he was in his 20s. That's wild. <laughs> that is a heroic effort. That's, yeah, I mean, you look at bands like that, and same thing with Metallica. They've been doing it for forever. Yep. I have so much respect for bands that... It's clear bands like that are are really doing it because they absolutely love what they're doing. Otherwise, there's no way they'd still be doing it like 50 plus years later. Especially the there's, level that they do it at. Oh, yeah. It's, you know, and, and like with Metallica, you hear Hetfield talk about it. Like they're always chasing that that elusive, perfect riff. Yeah. And they still never feel like they find it. But that's like the drive of the band. It's like like when you're in high school and writing riffs like, oh, someday we're going to write like the perfect <laughs> riff. Like he still has that. He still has that drive. Like he just never settles like, Oh, okay. Job's done here. We nailed it. You know? And and I think that's how bands like that just keep going. Like they're never content. They're never happy with it. They can always do it better. And then, you know, sometimes they make a mistake or two. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Oh, I know. I know. I have you heard the the remixes that they've done with the snare where they like dialed it in correctly and made it sound a little different? Oh no, I didn't hear that. I saw the one where they where they replaced the the snare with like um it was either like a like a trash can lid or Oh, that's right. or like like James saying yeah. <laughs> I did see that one. That's just awesome. That might have been an improvement over the original mix. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was such a bummer because it's a, it, there is good stuff on that album, and yeah. I you know I I get from a creative standpoint where it's like okay let's 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 get really creative here and just try something we haven't done before, 
so you know although it gets slammed by everyone universally like that's probably their worst album I, I still appreciate that they took that chance and just tried something different even though it didn't work out but I can they probably should know, have called a, it something else like not Metallica <laughs> I know yeah they <laughs> just call it, this is not Metallica St. Anger literally just call it not Metallica this is uh, yeah. not Metallica's <laughs> new album St. Anger <laughs> maybe it would have been appreciated more I don't know but yeah I can I can appreciate that having that um having the will to want to do that just because I mean, even at that point when they put out St. Anger, they'd still been playing for decades. Oh yeah. And so they're probably like, dude, let's just, let's mix this up and try something new and just see how it goes. And whatever, if it doesn't go well, at least we could say we tried it and we're just, you know, trying to keep it exciting. So I, yeah, I can get where they, why they wanted to do it. And by the way, we're going to take your snare and replace it with a five gallon bucket. I know. Yeah, so <laughs> weird. That's such an odd I guess if you're going for that really trashy sound, I guess that makes sense. But it was, uh, I just don't know if I'd want to have that on a whole album. No, absolutely not. (laughs) And plus, I'm not a giant fan of those types of snares either. Like, my favorite snare sounds, I have three. One is Sean Kinney from Alice in Chains. Like, his Mm -hmm. snare is absolutely ridiculous. The second is Chris Adler from Lamb of God. I, yes. that, that super high pitched like piccolo type snare like that's like that just does it for me yep and then the alex van halen you know like slamming on a log type snare <laughs> <laughs> yeah no 100 percent. yeah chris adler's snare tone is pretty solid yeah it almost like teeters on the edge of a piccolo sound it's just got a really good snap to it oh yeah um yeah i've god snares are so tough i've had like for me, I've had the same snare since like 2004. Oh, wow. I think that's the only snare I've ever had since then. It's a, a Pearl Ultracast. They don't even make them anymore. Oh, okay. And But it's got this insane snap to it where like if you're playing a live show, you technically don't have to mic it because it's that loud. Oh, wow. But that's that's one thing where I feel like I could probably improve like becoming more of a gearhead. And kind of diving into more options, but I know how obsessive compulsive I can get about stuff. And I feel like I would literally drain my bank account buying snare drums if I start going down that road. So just so my kids can afford clothes and like go to school and have food, I feel like I should just like, I think for now I'm content with what I have. But at some point I should probably, I'll maybe start branching out. Now, the last thing that I have is, it isn't a question, but it is a chance for you to plug yourself. Where can people find you on social media? What's next for Ghost of the Sun? Whatever you want to tell the masses, this is your chance. Cool. Well, you can find our album on all streaming services. Um, Normally, everything's up on Spotify first. Uh, We do have a YouTube channel, um, just Ghost of the Sun. You should be able to search and find it. So we're, we're starting to put up more content now I, I got some video gear not that long ago so we're trying to just uh to film more behind the scenes stuff than we were before um yeah outside of that facebook instagram twitter uh should be pretty easy to find us just goes to the sun um i think moving forward the the plan now we have a new video dropping here in it's going to be a week or two and so we're just going to kind of surprise everyone we're not going to tell them when it's coming but all of a sudden it's just <laughs> going to kind of be all over the place nice um but yeah, so so moving forward, I think, you know, I just talked to our producer on Thursday, 
this last week. And so he's actually moving studios right now and he's setting back up. So the, the plan is he should be good to go by fall. So I think, I think the plan is uh, in the fall or maybe coming into winter, we're going to go back to the studio and start recording some new tracks because we, we have a good chunk of the next album done. Nice. Um, so we're, we're just trying not to get too far ahead of ourselves because we <laughs> we haven't, you know what I mean? Like we haven't really promoted uh, the first album to the point where, you know, we're, we're, we're like, okay, job's done. Let's focus on what's coming next. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> but we just like can't help ourselves from writing. And we just, you know, that's, you know, that's where I get my satisfaction from is writing and recording. So we want to um, go back at the end of this year, maybe just do a small EP you know, two or three songs and then, you know, start releasing singles. So um, I just, I, overall, I think people are going to start seeing a lot more content from us across all the channels. And then hopefully next year, if, if everything goes back to normal, our goal is to start doing some festivals, uh, doing a couple small tours that are, you know, regionally coming through and hopping on with some other bands for, for small legs of tours. Um, outside of that, really, it's just, it's kind of just a waiting game to see what happens and, you know, just try to stay as busy as we can on our end and, and, uh, you know, talk to you. It's fun as hell. Dude, literally anytime you want to come back on the show, literally for any reason at all, you are always welcomed here. Awesome, man. It's fun. I like doing this stuff. I uh, seriously, I could just, I could do this stuff all day. It's a blast. Oh yeah, absolutely. uh, You, you definitely have a cool podcast. I've listened to some of your other episodes and it's, yeah, it's just, dude, thank you. Yeah, it's just a, it's a cool thing to do. So it's, you know, much love to you for, for doing that. And yeah, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. We, well, pretty much our idea of the show is, um, like you remember that show, that metal show on VH1. Oh yeah. It was essentially, uh, I wanted to do like a podcast version of that. And like, obviously you've heard the show. So, you know, like the other two very distinct, like, uh, personalities on the show. Yeah. And, um, (laughs) It just, it, it creates very interesting conversations sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but those are the best, I mean, those are the best, those are the best podcasts. So, I mean, it just, cause I listen to podcasts all the time. So those are the ones that are not like pre-scripted and it's just like, it's just a conversation about whatever. I, I think universally people enjoy those the most. Oh, yeah. Um, so, you know, what, what you guys are doing, it's, it's, it's the perfect format. It's awesome. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Well, I guess to kind of wrap this thing up here, um, everyone, this has been Justin Terry. Make sure you go find Ghost of the Sun on all social media platforms, streaming platforms. Stay tuned for videos and more content coming out. This has been... I'm, it feels like every time I do another interview, I'm like, this is the best one. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> but this far, I mean, this one I feel like might be the best interview I've done thus far. Awesome. Everybody, Justin Terry, I want to thank you so much for coming on here today. Thanks, buddy. It was fun. All right, man. Have a good one. Hey, you too. Hey, this is Justin with Ghosts of the Sun. You are listening to the Rage Against the Mainstream podcast. This is our song, Enlil, off of the album Existia. Thank you.